welcome to the Show Up Podcast, a place where we explore leadership and how it's showing up for us in the world in which we work, and a space for you to explore what leadership means in your context, how you show up, how you turn up to be the best leader you can be in the world that you work in today. This episode, to be honest, is a little bit self-indulgent because it's an opportunity for us to start to explore why we've decided to record this podcast. And we thought, why not share that conversation with you all so you get a feel for us as hosts and as well as really get to sort of notice what we pay attention to when we're having conversations about a particular subject like leadership, but also notice what's going on inside us as we have that conversation too. So listen, enjoy, and if you find the episode useful, share it with some friends, because you may be able to help stimulate some really positive thoughts in them about how they can show up as leaders today. Right, here we are, gentlemen. Hi, Graham. Hi, Jamie. We are getting together today to start thinking about a podcast series and record a prelude conversation. Um... And so what we wanted to do was just have a conversation today about what is this podcast all about? Like, why are we here? Um, to set the scene on that, we've come together to talk about the nature of leadership. Um, we think about leadership in three dimensions. So firstly, you've got the vertical dimension of personal capacity and self-awareness, your ability to show up as a leader. And that's a dimension that gets a bit um, neglected, I think, by, by a lot of leaders and is a big part of our focus. The second dimension we think about is the is the more commonly known kind of horizontal practical tools of leadership that we have. And then the third dimension, which again gets neglected because it's not easy to do, is measuring the impact of your leadership and how your behaviors land in the world and what effects they have over time and across teams, across everyone you interact with. So we're exploring all of that. And the reason we're recording it is we want to share that journey openly. So we're going to push our thinking to new places and hope that anybody listening gets new perspectives as well um we don't have all the answers here we're, we're trying to figure it out and trying to synthesize stuff together to make it a really useful resource for people so we want to hear from you let us know what what resonates with you what doesn't what have we missed ultimately we're all here to learn so today we're just going to start with a discussion about why we're doing this like what challenges we see for leaders and today's world and why we think a new approach is needed and before we dive into that we'll just briefly introduce ourselves so you have some idea of who the hell we are and why we're talking to each other um graham do you want to introduce yourself first and then yeah we'll go. hey i'm graham uh i'm originally from a place called rochdale which is in lancashire but i've had the pleasure over recent years to travel the entire world working with organizations large and small to really help them look at this thing called transformation and look at how their leaders can really show up and lead the organizations of today that are going to be successful tomorrow. So that's kind of where my interest has been for the last 10 years. And uh, it's great to be on here chatting with you boys around subjects that we're all really passionate about. Awesome. Thank you, Graham. Jamie, who are you? Hey, morning, chaps. Nice to see you both. It's been a while. I miss your company. Um, when we started talking about this a few weeks back, I was actually wondering when we'd get started. My uh, kind of hurry up drivers were saying, oh, this sounds exciting. Let's get started. And then realized that we actually needed to take a little bit of time to think about it. 
So I'm very pleased that we're now getting started on it. Um, a little bit like Graham, my um, my background experience in transformative work um, covers the world. Uh, I think my practical experience uh, also spans work as a corporate executive and uh, a consultant as well as the developmental space. So I bring a little bit of a you know gamekeeper, poacher, observer role to a lot of what we do and talk about having been subject to object to and then observer of a lot of the things we might talk about over the next few weeks um i'm very nervous about doing this kind of stuff because i tend to like to work with data rather than with people um not that i don't like people just prefer data um and therefore i'm going to play the role of a bit of a synthesizer and a sense maker in some of this i hope because that will play to my comfort zone and then i won't be so scared anyway i'll hand back to you derry awesome thanks jamie uh, and I'm Derry, uh, like Graham, I'm a, a lapsed Lancastrian, um, although it's a good few years since I, I lived in Lancashire now, um, and also a bit of a plastic Welshman, as you can tell by the jarring between my name and my accent. Um, so I've been, I've been a strategy consultant uh, for 17 years now, which means I've worked with a lot of organisations and a lot of leaders trying to do things differently in organisations and seeing the good and bad of that. And then more latterly, I train in consulting skills. So I, I work with a lot of boutique consultancies now and see similar challenges for, for those people that I'm supporting. I think the interest for me, like the real kind of juxtaposition of my interests here has come in the last two or three years when I've been on my own personal journey of developing myself and my understanding of myself and being a leader of a couple of startups and the, and the teams in there. Um, and particularly, I have done a lot of personal therapy, personal men's work and men's groups. Uh, and I'm involved in an organization called the Mankind Project that does transformational weekends for people that are wanting to show up differently in the world. And I, I think there's just a fascinating link between the practical tools and the needs and the pressures of leadership in today's society and the way everybody needs to learn more about themselves and show up in the world. And uh, I, I see a beautiful marriage between those those things that I'm super excited to explore. So that's why I'm here and why I'm doing this. Um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating you say that because particularly in recent years when I've been having conversations with leaders and with I'm talking about these kind of leaders that are sort of 25 to 40-ish, right? And... Whether they're in a large organization or a smaller organization, the organization tends to bring them in, give them responsibility for achieving some outcome, right, as an op at an operational level. And then what happens is over time, they're given more responsibility, they're given more experience, then they're asked to lead people who are fulfilling operational roles. And in a lot of in a lot of sense, they're also asked to translate strategy into operation on behalf of their leaders, you know, the people who lead them, them second line type managers up the food chain. But parallel to that, that population has tend tended to become more aware of themselves in the world as they go about it. So they're starting to... Um, not just do the job, they're thinking about how they do the job at the same time as well. And there is a lot more excellent 
and conscious awareness of mental health in the workplace which I do believe has a component of mental health challenges, but also a component of um, less finely tuned capability mechanisms to actually work positively with the environment that they're in rather than feeling challenged by it and not being able to overcome that challenge. For those leaders too, they tend to, they're given this leadership role, but then just asked to figure it out, but they've got no compass. So they kind of sit there and just go, oh, this I'll just do what feels right, or I'll do one of two things. I'll do what some other leader has told me to do because that's the only model that I've ever learned, or they'll do the opposite of what some leader tells them to do because they didn't like the way that that leader did it because it made them feel bad. But really, they're kind of sticking their finger up in the wind and going, well, I'm going to click. Let's see what happens. But they've got their no way of seeing and getting that internal validation of how well they're doing in that leadership role. So one of, I see this all the time with this kind of population of leaders. What about you, chaps? Like, what have you seen as you've been kind of going I think out I'd, there? Um, I'd, I'd build on that as well, because I think, I think you're dead right that they, uh, and, it, it, you know, I kind of think of it as a parent, you know, like I either want a parent like my parents did or in exactly the opposite way as my parents did in certain dimensions. It's the same thing. And and similarly to like being a parent, you only have a handful of examples. And particularly like a lot of the smaller firms that I work with, the people moving into those leadership positions um, have often only worked at small firms. So they've only been exposed to a handful of leaders, particularly in a, in a deep, intense way. So they don't have that many models to, to work with. And they certainly don't know that that model might influence somebody else in a completely different way to the way it influenced them. And that, so that self-awareness is the other dimension where, um, and like very simple tools. I remember back from when I joined Bain & Company, we, you know, we did use Myers-Briggs type indicators. And that for me was a light bulb moment of like, Oh, hold on a minute. Not everybody sees the world the way I do at, a, at that simplistic level. And often even that type of understanding is, is lacking for people fairly early in their careers in smaller firms. So I, to I totally agree. I think there's just a, a f not a, not that many models they can work from and a lack of understanding of how if they try and take those models or the opposite of those models, how they're then going to land with the people they're trying to lead. What, what does yeah. the data monkey think about models <laughs> in all of this? Uh, the models bit is very interesting and in that uh, using the, any of those models is going to throw off a certain amount of data, which is going to help somebody see themselves differently than perhaps they had grown up or been told to date uh, they showed up like um, so I think the the models angle is quite an interesting one those models appear apparently in your career at different stages depending on your organization either by choice or by design from the organization so you don't really necessarily um, often realize what you look like to others until they show up um, but they, they can be very helpful they can be very helpful I think for many, as long as they recognize it is just one data point. Um, the bit that I think is fascinating is what other data points do people recognize they could use that they're sensitive to, or they just are, are unaware of and ignore, um, which help them recognize the impact they're having anyway, particularly when they reach this uh, sort of golden period. Now, let's just call it the golden period, the 25 to 40 emerging leaders. I don't, don't know whether any, many of them would realize they are leaders 
or expected to be leaders. And I wonder whether there is any kind of handshake moment to say, hey, okay, now, you're now in this kind of role while you've got more responsibility and these are the things we're going to judge you on. You're now shifting to a different level of expectation amongst the people around which you work, those who work for you, those who work with you, those who look to you to get things done. How do you feel about that? Now, no model can tell you what's that going to be like. So I think there is a certain amount that the model and the data can be helpful with, but there's a certain amount that has to come from within somebody saying, I'm in charge of myself. Therefore, I need to kind of carve my own path and use everything available to me to seek that kind of uh, data to help me understand where I'm going and whether I'm having an impact that I'd like or that other people can benefit from. So it's a fascinating, fascinating period, in my opinion. Jamie, what um, what kind of data blind spots do you think people have? Like, because well, I can I can imagine like a, a universe of data that is useful to a leader to to guide how they're landing, and that the default position for a lot of leaders is to only really have a subset of that data, a relatively small subset. Like, what do you see kind of common blind spots that people have where there's just something that they could be looking at that would help them? And they're not looking at it. Yeah, uh, the, the most obvious one is people don't listen particularly well, just as human beings. Um, they're so intent on doing and transmitting their perspective um, that they often fail to notice the signals that are coming in. So the individuals are gathering data all the time. We can't help ourselves but gather data um, as the human machines that we are. Um, and people are particularly blind to a lot of signals that they could benefit from on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's where you kind of tuning up self-awareness really helps because people notice in themselves, what are, the, what are the data points about how I feel, my emotions, my tiredness, my happiness, my excitement, my sadness, my whatever it might be, um, that are massive blind spots for an awful lot of leaders because they've been so intent on focusing on what's outside of them and what they are judged for doing, the what, and how people then talk to them about, well done, I'm validating you now because of the achievements you've made, that that whole data set is, I think, relatively um, less well understood for most leaders entering that period um, than others. Then in organizations, depending on size, there's an awful lot of just what I call latent data sitting around that people don't realize they have access to in a very secure way, very confidential way, so we're not talking about spying on people, but it helps to sort of reveal what are the dynamics that are starting to emerge in a business about who's joining from where, how long do they stay, how quickly do they get promoted, when do they look for transfers, when do they want a promotion, what reasons do they give, how does that correlate to performance. All this stuff is data that every organization has, either on a piece of paper in a filing cabinet, a rudimentary payroll system, a very advanced workday solution. Status just sitting there all the time, and there are only a few organizations, relatively speaking, who are starting to think about doing anything with that. So, there's a bit of a blind spot there. There's a massive blind spot, um, uh, sadly, about really the, the opportunity to then blend all those data sets together. Um, that's something where I think uh, the future for particularly data and analytics in human behavior has a massive opportunity uh, not to replace intuition, but to complement and inform insight, development, uh, people's own 
you know, awareness of their growth and their the journeys they're on. Um, looking at multiple data sets in a less judgmental way, I think is a, another massive opportunity, which sadly, even today, with all the talk of HR analytics, workforce analytics, it's still a bit of a blind spot. Can I just come back to one, I think a balancing point, really. How are we each defining a leader in this context? Right, what, what do you define a leader to be, Derek? Yeah, that's a good, that's a very good question, actually. Um, I think, and I've got, there's a million dictionary de definitions out there, right? But the way I think about leadership is um, someone who is able to create a safe environment where people can achieve what they want to achieve and develop for themselves. Um, it's got a high degree of kind of consciousness and taking responsibility. Like a leader has to ultimately be looking at ways they can help the people around them do better. Um, but it is also about setting that kind of guiding direction of like, ultimately this is where we're trying to get to. And I want to enable everybody around me to support with that, with that journey. So you mean, are you saying perhaps therefore that somebody who is the, ultimately the accountability sits with them of the overall holistic success of whoever's working with them or for them? I'd probably frame it slightly differently in that I would say that they, they openly, consciously choose to take responsibility rather than they've been given accountability. Like this isn't a job description thing. This isn't like, here's your, here's your KPIs or your OKRs that you've got to hit. This is, I am personally in myself going to take responsibility for the what happens in my team around me and, and I'm going to do everything I can to try and enable them, enable us to move in the direction we want to move in. So it's a subtle really twist yeah. on that. So there's, a, there's, a, there's potentially two different perspectives of when somebody becomes a leader. There's the, I choose and I elect to become a leader because I take on the responsibility. I actively, I have agency to do so. And then there's an expectation from an outside, like the system says, right, you are now in a leadership position where we assume you understand the responsibilities associated with being accountable for that area. And those two things may not necessarily happen at the same time. No, so very, could, very commonly they don't. Yeah, you could, become, you could become a leader before you're in the position where the company expects you to be accountable. And in fact, there might be others who are in that position in the company where they've not, not made that connection individually. And that's where perhaps a real sense of rub starts to emerge. Yeah, and I'd say that that second scenario is more, much more common. Much more common. That people end up with, with the responsibilities, but they, they haven't yet figured out how best to navigate through that and bring the best out of everybody else it's really fascinating you say that because i've got a client at this moment in time that's exactly at this juncture in their career they've left they've led they've led huge huge project deliverables like across multiple countries they've they've been a country head of their functional area right so they've had the responsibility for coordinating and bringing together a group of people to collectively achieve outcomes and that's across speciality 
So it's not just a case of saying to those people, come in, come on my train and make sure we get the job done. It's about making sure she meets them there where their objective agenda is and, and, and do those pieces from there. She's looking to move role at the moment. And one of the questions that's come up for her in her interviews is very simply, have you had responsibility for hiring and firing people? Now, technically, she has, but from a job title perspective, it's not clear. And that's leading extra questions to be asked by a potential future employers because they're defining leadership as the new version of people manager. They're right. defining leader, they're defining the organization is defining leader as the new term for people manager because there's that element of responsibility for managing people and their performance. And I'm sure we'll get onto this down on later podcast is, you know, what does that people manage people management element do to people's behavior when they become leaders? I'd love to explore that with you both. But it feels like there's there's the internally felt definition of leader and what's being asked of you versus the external world's definition of what they expect of you should you have leader somewhere in your title. That's what's yeah. coming out for me from that. So we've got, we've got two different perspectives of when a leader could emerge or be expected. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's particularly pertinent for that kind of what we described as maybe I've, I've coined the phrase, I claim it. In our okay. first podcast, I've claimed first ever territory. podcast, and you're putting you're putting claiming the territory, the golden right. age of leadership, the 25 to 40 year olds. Do we think it's particularly pertinent for them because of where they might be in their career, or do we think it's actually relevant at any stage? I want to hear what you're going to say first on this, Derry, because I've got a, I've got a really interesting perspective. <laughs> cool. Um, so I. Uh, I think this stuff is relevant for everybody. Like, firstly, like every human benefits from thinking like this. Uh, secondly, I think like leadership doesn't. Anybody who is working in pretty much any environment is going to be interacting with other people around them and trying to influence them in some way. Uh, even if you're a a solopreneur, like working mostly from your garage, you know, like me. Um, you're you're still interacting with people all the time and trying to trying to influence them, right? So, um, like these things help for that as well. So, I think there's benefits to everybody. Um, I think the opportunity. Just, well, so second, is, that, is that is that your garage that we're seeing you sit in? Because that's the nicest garage I've ever seen. Yeah. I'm jealous. It's, it's, just, hiding, it's yeah, just hiding the concrete floor. I've got garage. Yeah, literally, literally just off camera here is like a is a, is a squat rack and a and a wet dog <laughs> and nonsense. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to disrupt. Um, yeah, no, it's a it's a very carefully uh, set up backdrop. Um, so that that the way I think I, I think I, that that golden age of leadership for me is uh, this stuff is really helpful in that period because that's where the opportunity is to be a truly different leader. So if you enter that you know late twenties period where you're starting to you know, you you might just be starting to manage people at that age. And your opportunity to shift rapidly from manager to a conscious leader is significant. And if you can do that, then by the time you get to 40 plus, you're going to be a radically different type of leader and have had a radically different experience. For people who are sitting there now in their 40s and their 50s, who have never thought about leadership in this way, there's still massive benefit to be had. You know, I go back to the, to the work I do with the Mankind Project. 
the average age of the men that come on the these weekends who want to figure out a different way of looking at the world is early 40s you know it takes quite a long time there's a quote i forget who the quote's from i should look it up but there's a quote that like life begins at 40 up before then you're just gathering data so there's massive opportunity for people later on in their careers to still benefit from this but i think the real like generational shift in the way we think about leadership can happen if people in their 20s and 30s start to think this way that sounds like there's, a, there's it's like a muscle development that could happen in that period rather than waiting until you've gathered the data um, at a subject obviously close to my heart and then starting to work out how to apply it if you develop some of the muscles earlier then you'll know what to do with it once you've started to synthesize it yeah, and one of the fascinating things, Jamie, with your, I, I didn't come back to you on your, the, the kind of gaps in the data that people gather, but the first type of data you talked about, the signals you get from other people, I think that is data that people can start tuning into very, very early on. Um, the real risk with that data is you can misinterpret it because you will make a bunch of projections and judgments about what someone is actually saying based on your own triggers and your own your own traumas and the, your own stuff that you're dealing with. So it's very important when you're looking at that data to focus to, to separate out the data, like what did somebody do or say from the judgments that you have about that data, which is your own story that you're telling about it, which may or may not be true, versus the feelings that come up for you because of what they've done. And tuning into the data bit of that and being really clean with yourself about what 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 is the lesson for me here from this data is really important. Uh, you've just found a whole whole podcast topic of what gets in the way of our understanding of data because it's not just yeah. category category one data where that's a risk or a real real problem it's all the other data yeah. sets as well but yeah very so interesting. I, I want to hear graham's uh, interesting perspective, well, the, interesting on the, golden perspective age the interesting perspective i have here is that And this comes from the experience and the observation and watching groups and behavior. You know, it's what I do. I can't, I, I can never not sit in a cafe and not watch what's going on. Um, it's just whether I choose to talk about it or not that tends to be the, the thing that goes on. But one of the patterns I've noticed is that this, this, it is not this group that recognizes that they're leaders. It's people around them that places the label of leadership on them that then in where there's an invitation to step up. And whence that invitation, you know, when that invitation is given to them, they have a choice whether to take it on or not. That invitation usually comes with an increased salary, for example, or but a less conversation about what actually are you responsible for now your leadership. And that places a lot of leaders into this into this sea of uncertainty as to the landscape ahead. And what I've noticed is that what initially tends to happen is, I'm going to try and describe this as best as possible because visually it will come across really well. But imagine you've got a, a let's say a a football field, soccer field, football field, and it's a hundred yards long right? And we know that there's a halfway line in the middle. If you can imagine that length of the football pitch is people's operational responsibility before they become leaders. 
They then get asked lead and the pitch extends by another half. But so really what they first, the first leap that they tend to make is, well, I've now got 150 yards worth of responsibility to look after when actually what they could spend more time doing is looking at how they move the first half of the pitch. So they start at the halfway line. So they still have a hundred yards of responsibility, but that 50 that they've left behind, they're actually looking at how they can empower their teams to deliver the outcomes that they're trying to achieve. But it's only once they're placed into that journey that people can then start to see that this uncertainty is the work of a leader. And I love what you said, Jamie, about the data points rather than the judgments, you as well, Derry, rather than the judgments that they experience as leaders all the time. What if these what if leaders could start to recognize that the best compass that they have is the one that's inside them? And if they can start to make real time sense of the world of which they experience every single day in a new leadership position. Will that equip them more confidently to know the narrative that exists and that gets created? Because that narrative only comes from the experience that they've had to date. As we said earlier, it comes from when they've had bad leaders and good leaders. It has some parenting that helps them or gets in their way. Teaching that helps them or gets in their way when they've gone up from there. I wonder, and I think that's why we're here talking about this subject, because what we've noticed is that when you look at that horizontal element, yeah, you can improve people's skills and ability to lead. I'm sure through all of these podcasts, we are going to give more models than people have ever seen to sense make this world. And that's fine. But what about that other piece where people are more aware of the felt sense that goes on inside them? And how that vertical element that we talk, we're talking about of self-awareness, personal capacity, and the ability to grow from understanding yourself and the story that goes on. And then you stick that dimension of data on top of that. So you can see, well, what impacts it's actually happening. So you don't have that thirst for external validation all of the time. You can actually internally validate because you're giving yourself space as a leader to really make some sense about that. Mm. Okay, well, not wanting to pour, pour cold water on us, um, because I, 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 I notice we can get excited by our own voyeuristic tendencies because we are fascinated by this thing called mm. leadership from yeah. either what it means to be one, the skills you have, what evidence you can use to understand the impact you're having. Um, and I think, Graham, you've just started to touch a little bit on this, but I wonder whether any of us really appreciate what does it feel like to become one of these and what kind of challenges does that present? Because what we're describing as experts in our different fields um, uh, is a really bloody messy shit show of complexity, which as a 25 to 40 year old, I'm dealing with you know, my relationships, maybe starting a family, working out whether I buy rent houses, do I move, do I get an opportunity? And then there's the whole, and I'm expected to hit these targets and 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 my friends are you know getting married and I've got to find ways to you know pay for the stag do or the hen do or the whatever, all that sort of stuff. What does it feel like to try and make sense of this stuff? Don't forget about saving the environment. Of course. Well then there's the whole thing of saving the environment, dealing yeah, with that's political important. uncertainty. And it is, it's an important thing too. But I sorry, I add that. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the, the recognition that the world isn't diverse enough, doesn't appreciate appreciate diversity, that 
all these ideologies that we're going to try and make sense of as well, which are just the things you talk about in the pub, or maybe they're very much central to what's going on in your business. I want to have a purpose. It sounds fucking crazy, frankly. Well, what was so it like you... for each of us? We've all been leaders. We still lead today. If you could summarize the first six months of your role as a leader, what was it like? I went to the first thing I knew how to do, which was try and get some shit done. I paid no attention to myself or anything else. It was like, how do I survive? How do I just make sure I look as if I'm doing a good job? That was the first six months. Well, Absolutely, Terry? yeah. Yeah, I, exactly the same. Like, what, what, do I, what do I need to get done so that those around me give me a pat on the back and say, you've done a good job? That we can roll, we can roll a consulting project. That that my, I was very passionately concerned about getting great upward feedback from my teams. Like I wanted to give them a good experience, um, but there was zero zero self care. I actually remember I'd probably I'd been I'd been a manager at Bain for maybe six months, and my wife and uh, we'd only been married like maybe a year at this point, I think. Um, my wife actually sat me down and said, "Like that, you're a, you're in a right state," and made me score myself for like my physical health, my mental health, <laughs> relationship with her, and my relationship with my friends. And I couldn't give any of them more than a three out of ten, um, because. But at work, I was flying, like getting great feedback, great wood feedback, progressing faster than anyone else in my peer group. Like, but I was absolutely on my knees. Um, because I wasn't looking after myself at all. Because I was all I was caring about was that external validation, whether that was from clients or from the partners or from my team. Uh, so yeah, that massively resonates. Mm, yeah, it's similar for me. I remember my old boss. I've been an I've been a learning development trainer for two mm. years before. Yeah, I know, big title. <laughs> hey, I train people um in soft skills and you know product skills and stuff like that and i remember for the first six months i um i my old boss i rang every day on the way home and some days first thing in the morning, i knew she used to travel between five and seven o'clock in the morning to get to her office and i used to i used to ring her whilst I was out on a run or a walk or something first thing in the morning. Was that, was that during the pandemic? She had a massive house. No, no. This was a number of years before then, Jamie. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, you, do, you do look quite young. I, I am. Uh, thanks. I'm, I'm honoured. Apparently, I'm in the golden age of leadership. So this is great. <laughs> um, but when, I remember I used to ring it every single day and just talk to try and make sense of what I was experiencing. But what I never appreciated was that was just me in a panic state all the time because I was just drowning would be the only word to describe it. And similar to you, Derry, I remember I remember after 12 months, I actually left that leadership role to move to a more operationally centered thing. It had the leadership component to it, but it, it didn't have that pressure of just being a sales manager of a team of 12 sales reps because I had, you know, talking to my wife as well, we like, we've got to change this because I am on a one way track to burnout and I'm 30 years old. Um, 
and I'm sure it will come up in later podcasts, just what impact that actually had for me at that time, that period, and how I found lenses and landscapes to which to start to explore the world and make sense of it as I experience it. And I'm so grateful for that period for kind of igniting that journey in how I show up today. And I guess that's kind of part of the reason why we, I do what I do today and I have the pleasure of doing it with you chaps as well because there was a shift that took place in my 30s that was crucial for me showing up today. And I think it's the right gift to be able to be involved in a space to be able to do that and play with that in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I, I would echo some of that. Um, it's the, the, the little bit looking back with rose-tinted glasses um, had I known then some of what I know now about myself and about muscles that I've developed in my later years, I think it's, I'm probably a late starter compared to the two of you in terms of becoming aware of an awful lot about me and how I operate uh, that has proven to be very, very helpful for me. Had I known those things then, some of the damage I wrought in myself and others um, over those early years of assuming leadership that's the sort of outside in given a senior role the i think i'm a leader now but maybe i don't really understand it inside out um uh, experiences through my career all which were validated by i was achieving things people kept wanting to promote me they were you know poaching me for jobs they were giving me bigger and more complex things to do um, and outcomes were being achieved but I don't think I ever really felt happy about any of it. And I didn't feel ever centered about, I can see this system I'm in and I feel comfortable and content, still ambitious, maybe dissatisfied about certain things, but I actually see it for what it is. That was something that I've only ever really learned. Um, and I'm still learning and observing and enjoying the journey, certainly in the last few years. Um, but I wish I'd known some of that. Um, earlier on in my late 20s and early 30s yeah I think I, I certainly wish I'd known this I mean I didn't I didn't start really on this kind of journey of understanding till I was in my late 30s either um, and I think everyone I've, I've met wishes they'd known it sooner so like, if you're listening to this and you're in your 20s like <laughs> here's, here's the up. chance yeah. <laughs> here's the chance get, get ahead of, get ahead of the game yeah yeah <laughs> I think one thing that's just bubbling away for me that I wanted to bring in, because um, we're talking about a, a model that like, we're broadly called conscious leadership. And I'm sure in this series, we're going to talk about um, about 15 commitments of conscious leadership, which is extremely valuable for anybody that uh, this resonates with. I'm very aware that there is a, a model of leadership out there that is broadly the opposite of this, but still achieves, uh, is still lauded as successful. So the kind of the firebrand, uh, take no prisoners leader, like the Alex Ferguson's, um, the Jeff Bezos, like these these people who have outwardly got extraordinary levels of success in their domains, whilst having a reputation for, you know, crushing people, taking no prisoners, being rude, taking no responsibility for their own their own actions. Like, how do we? How do we marry up the apparent 
success of that leadership style with what we're talking about? Great question. Great question. I'm looking across the screen. You're looking at me, Jen. Graham, yeah. Thanks. Here's what I've noticed. There was a time where that command and conquer style and that didactic dictate, follow me and we will achieve model worked. But what I've noticed as well is that people's sensitivity to what they experience in the world is now more conscious than ever. Um, and because of that, a lot of employees, whether they're leaders or not in a higher employer position, have evolved their thinking to not respond to that didactic style. There's an ink, I've read some wonderful work on the subject of compassion in leadership roles and what that makes. When you look, for me, when I look at females in leadership positions and all of that wonderful research that's gone on to show that women in leadership positions create successful organizations, look at Starling Bank, for example. <laughs> it's headed by a female CEO and it is doing incredibly well. And I would put some of that success down to the ability to be compassionate compassionate to the people that are there so here's what i think is about to happen in this golden age of leadership there's going to be a new model one that's not yet actually been created yet we may make sense of what we experience it through this podcast series for example but there's actually we're on the cusp of new models for leadership being created that academia or you know interested consultants and consultancies will put frames to to make sense of it all. But I really think that the people experiencing it are just looking for ways that they can be successful with the patterns and beliefs and schemas that their teams have, then they have themselves and how they can make the best out of the situation that they've got coming up. Was that the kind of answer you were looking for, Jamie? Um, it was because it, it means I can disagree with you. It's brilliant. Yeah. N nice setup. Thanks. Um, it, I love that actually, because actually that does make an awful lot of sense. The one paradigm uh, shift that I think the era of the internet kind of kickstarted that is accelerated through what we call now the, the age of digitization, um, which is although technically or technologically uh, associated but has had a marked impact on societal dynamics is what I'd call velocity. Velocity and distance in some ways. Velocity, the speed with which people grow awareness of what's going on in the system. So you can't really now escape from the fact that most businesses have to recognize there is something called full transparency. Your supply chain and whether you use child slaves or whatever it might be, will be found out within not just maybe months but weeks or days if somebody somewhere says oh i wonder if they because data now is so accessible the access through social media is now whether it's reliable or not or pervasive and that velocity of understanding knowledge share information gathering and so on and so forth means that the tolerance of certain styles of behavior or ways of doing things can now, with evidence, whether it be valid or not, be challenged much more easily. So people are much, much faster uh, in both larger society, but also in smaller companies um, uh, to say, is this the way we really want 
things to happen. Do I want to be part of this or not? And they can opt in or out much more quickly. We've heard things recently about you know, post-pandemic, the great resignation. Now we're talking about quiet quitting. These aren't necessarily long-lasting things. Guess what? Velocity applies to them as well. These things come and go very quickly. And the media plays a role in that. But those models of the Alex Ferguson's, the Jeff Bezos's of this world, the command and control, there is a model that I'm following, I think is now in danger of being surpassed by a period, not necessarily with a new model, and this is the only slight disagreement, mm. Mr. Roberts, is it's, is there gonna be a model of anything? Is anything gonna last long enough to be called a model, or are we gonna just have to become much more capable of operating in a complex, shifting, rapidly, dynamically changing environment and how do you therefore equip yourself in either the golden age or beyond it for that kind of environment? Because I guess what, I don't think digitization is in any danger of slowing down. If anything, the proliferation of the infrastructure that supports the digitization that exists today by next week is gonna be 25 times more powerful because artificial intelligence is an accelerator into this as well. So I think the, capabilities we're talking about here maybe the reliance on models is something that we've got to be looking at and how do we become comfortable with letting go of models adopting new but very very flexible or changing ones but then continuing to stay focused on the one constant in all of that which is who the hell am i love it great perspectives guys i've got i've got a slightly different view as well go for it i want to hear it um so I think that command and control model will stay for some organizations and some roles within organizations. And part of the reason I think it will stay is because it works for certain types of people. And it particularly works for people who, in my judgment, are emotionally traumatized and looking for relationships in the workplace that feel comfortable to them because of the way they were brought up. So if you were brought up in a household where your dad tore strips off you and were really strict and um, time and again, you see people recreate those relationships romantically and time and again, you see people recreate those relationships in the workplace. So I, I think people seek out and, and not they're not they're not healthy relationships it's not a healthy way to work it doesn't lead to happiness but i think people will continue doing it because that's what we seek out so i don't think it's a model of leadership to aspire to but i don't think it's going to go away that quickly i think and then the more kind of positive spin on it i'd say is the modern leader can't just use that as a one-size-fits-all thing because of all the stuff you talk about around consciousness and velocity and awareness of different options and different models and people's uh, freedom to be flexible in how they move around and how they work and, who, and where they work for. And, uh, you know, capable people are going to have side hustles and they're going to have uh, flexibility and multiple jobs and they're going to build their own career path in a different way. So you need to lead those people in a way that makes them want to opt in to being led by you there are still going to be a subset of people that need a, a more managerial style of leadership where they want to know like what exactly is expected of me? How do I execute? What do I need to do to just 
continue moving along. You can still lead people with those needs in a conscious way, but it's a different way of leading to uh, like inspiring senior, creative, innovative people, for example. So I think I, I think I think the job of leadership or the the optimization of leadership is is getting more and more complicated. Um, Jamie, I just want to come back to the question you asked a few minutes ago about um, uh, how does anyone navigate all of this? Like this is extremely complex on multiple fronts. Like how does anyone navigate it? I think for me, and again, I referenced the book Fifteen Commitments of Conscious Leadership. I think for me. The first commitment in that book is about taking radical responsibility. And that is the kind of the guiding light for me of how you navigate through all of this is becoming aware of how your actions are influencing the outcomes that you see and taking responsibility for learning from those and changing, changing your actions if you need to. And if you have that mindset, that can become a kind of guiding star to take you through this, the complexity of this rapidly accelerating shifts in, in workplace needs and, and employee needs. That's a nice way of starting to bring this to a close, perhaps, that it, it all starts with you. Not necessarily you, Derry, obviously, not just you. It all starts with me, absolutely. <laughs> it all starts with the one Derry constant. Is the icon in... of the golden age of leadership. <laughs> That's what we've just established, everybody. We're going to send him some golden spray paint and yeah, can do the back no of the garage longer, wall. Uh, <laughs> no longer being uh, meeting the qualifying criteria from an age perspective. So, gents, gents, if I were to say that while this has been a prelude, we've all already kind of dipped into some of the areas that I think we'll touch on in, in more detail in, in future parts of our journey together. Um, the bit I made sense of this is we take different things from the word leadership even within this group. And it's an outside in, inside out, an expectation or a choice that can emerge. We feel that there's an opportunity for a particular demographic and that doesn't necessarily get bounded by country, culture, region, company, industry, inside or outside organization. But there's an opportunity to build muscle uh, that might come in useful later in life when certainly for us, apart from Graham, who's 15, um, for us, you and I, uh, Derry, um, you know, we we would have wished to have learned some of these and these developed these muscles earlier, but it's a really complex journey, and there are many different ways of looking at it. Even within the three of us, we've got a there's an old model that will continue to persist. There's going to be potentially a new model, or maybe there's no model at all because of what's going on in society. This sounds to me like it's going to be um, uh, food for plenty of very very useful conversations about different parts of that. What does it take to understand yourself? What does it take to then become aware of the models that exist that might be helpful or new models? How do you make sense of those things? What do other people think about this, experts in their fields? So I'm just wondering whether you guys have got any closing thoughts on where you feel you would like to get something out of our time together over the next, God knows how many hours we spent talking about this, um, in addition to sharing some of our insights for people around the topics I've just mentioned. That's a great, that's a great question. You mean like, what, what are we going to personally? Yeah, why, why, what program? are you hoping to get out of this? Yeah, I think for, I want to, I want to I want to deepen and um, 
structure my way my my framework for all of this stuff like i want to i i think i've got lots of different pieces of it all over the place and i want to i want to bring those together in a way that is that is coherent and just really sings for me because then that will help me explain it to other people and and use it use it myself and i also want to tune into these topics and how they make me feel when we're talking about them and try and figure out how what that data is telling me what that what that information is telling me about my own preconceptions and and judgments and um i want to try and have the the courage to bring those judgments in when they come up for me even if i think they're things that are going to be uncomfortable for that the people might react badly to um so I think there's I think there's a growth growth in a number of different ways for me. Thanks, Terry. What about you, Graham? I think that theme of growth is quite interesting because the growth mindset has been researched very well. Um, it's been implemented by many people in lots of areas, and I, I think this this group that we're talking about are very comfortable with the idea of growing, but sometimes they don't necessarily know where that direction of growth is, or they can't identify it or consciously place phrases or terms to that growth and direction. What I hope to get out of this is <clears throat> what I, where I made it, a, made a shift in recent years around this perception of growth. Um, because I used to always think it needs to be in a direction towards a goal, towards something, achieve, 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 achieve. And what I started to recognize was that sometimes I can be quite passive in that approach to making sense of things, letting it emerge as I go along. And that's really serviced me well in, in a lot of aspects today. What I hope through this, and in a similar way to Derry, is I think these conversations are really going to help me just put some terms or conscious terms to what I experience every single day and help me notice where I am at this point in my journey um, of supporting people, enabling people to realize their full potential. It's going to be a really good exploration of what's that dialogue actually being that I've sorry, what's that dialogue that I've been having inside my head? What happens when it comes out of my mouth? And what does that do me create for me? And what impact does it have in others? So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be cool. I just want to be famous. And um, I'm hoping you're this so is my route. In, you're so Instagram, Jamie. You're I, so well, TikTok. <laughs> I just don't have any other social media outlets. This was my one opportunity. And you guys um, just gave me the platform. So I'm I'm thrilled to bits and and I will hold us to account at the end of maybe this series. Um, I will revisit that question and see well, whether what we actually... to, what does Jamie want to be famous for? That's that's <laughs> the that's the closing episode. How have right? I become famous and did you guys learn anything? Um it's more I, no. I just want to thank you, Jamie, for for choosing us over Britain's Got Talent. Um and their loss. Well, Absolutely. You know what? There was only one slot in the calendar that could work, and and I had to say to Simon, I've got something much better to do. Yeah. Um. Today, this morning. Um. To be honest, I think I echo an awful lot of what you guys have said. I can't wait, in many respects, just to explore some of these things because I'm going to learn. I learn any any time I work with Graham, uh, and you, Derry, anyway, a little bit about myself and what other ways of doing these things are. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where that takes us over the course of the next few episodes um and then we will revisit it 
will say, what do we get out of this ourselves? And what would that might what might that mean for how we do things differently for ourselves and for the people we work with uh, going forward? So yeah. or maybe on that note, um, should we wrap up today, chaps? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, one thing I would like to do if you guys are up for it is have a little check out of this Ooh. conversation, which is a a tool we use. Is this where we edit in the supermarket beep as the barcodes go past for everything that we say? <laughs> is it that it. kind of checkout, or is it? Another yeah, yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I give you a bill for. Uh, <laughs> um, so in in a lot of my in a lot of my men's work, you know, we we get together in men's circles, um, and women's circles work in the same way, and mixed circles work in the same way. It just happens that my uh, my experiences in in men's work, um, we like to kind of close things cleanly. And one of the ways we close things cleanly is by is by checking out very simply with just what's going on for us. Um, I'm not going to prescribe how how we how we do this. Uh, I'm going to use a a simple structure called PIES, which stands for physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. Um, and I would suggest we just take maximum a minute each and just say what's going on and check out of uh, of this first episode of this podcast so i'll model that um if you guys are if you guys are up for it um so yeah how how am i doing after after an hour of conversation with you guys if physically uh i'm feeling good but i need to go to the loo um i've got a bit of tension in my back from sitting here um but i'm feeling quite light um uh and just sort of lifted up by by the conversation and energized by speaking to to you men as i found um intellectually i'm feeling stimulated my brain's spinning uh, there's there's a few jigsaw pieces falling into place and, and things and uh, i look forward to that that continuing uh emotionally emotionally i always try and track back to one of the one of the four four main emotions um fear sadness anger and joy and right now it's it's joy um uh, uh having had that such a great conversation um and spiritually i'm feeling connected you know my personal mission is all about is all about connection and and shouting my joy um and i'm feeling really connected to you guys and hoping to connect to people out there who may listen to this and and uh and join us on this journey so that's me i'm out Graham, do you want to go next yeah uh, so I'll probably model my way of doing it, if that's all right, um, because I noticed the story that's coming up for me right now is a combination of all four of these pies, although I'm trying to stay off the pies at the moment. Um, for me, having this conversation with chaps has, has really filled me with a lot of warmth, a lot of energy. I have felt like I've slowed down for the first time today when um, I've been very into lots of things and I've had to into practice my own things to just be present and centered in the conversation that we've had and what i've really enjoyed is the experience of then allowing the space to open up in my head from being in that place there it feels this conversation really connected to that thing that i said enabling people to realize their full potential that is the thing that gets me out of bed every single morning uh, whether it's my family whether it's my friends whether it's my business partners and friends that i work with in business and whether it's the people I have the great honor to sort of connect with around the world and just doing this in this conversation with you guys, it's given me a, it's given me big ticks on every single one of those levels. 
physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. Really, really cool. Jamie. That's great. Derry. Full of energy on so many levels. So I feel energized. I've got to go off now to something else, but I feel like I'm going to have a spring in my step. Um, my brain is just buzzing with so many of the different concepts and different perspectives. That's exciting. That's fuel for me. Um, emotionally, I started with a level of nerves and anxiety, and you guys both helped dispel that with um, just the ease with which you have the conversation and invite me in or bounce back and, and forth. And that emotional connection for me, which I think is part, I feel emotional, spiritual, the pies analogy. Uh, I don't know necessarily how I separate um, one from the other in many respects, but that feeling of warmth, um, enjoyment. I mean, I'm excited about the next chance we get to get together. Um, and that, that possibility, that that hope, that if we if we enjoy doing this, and we spark ideas and interest in at least one other person, it's been worthwhile. <laughs>